many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Guys, it's Dr. Z. It's October 8th, 1.30 Pacific time, roughly. I round up. Uh, it's fall. I'm cold. I kind of like being cold. Uh, speaking of cold, Delta is cooling off. As we kind of sort of predicted in the beginning of August when I did my Delta Surge video. So we're going to talk about Delta, the dynamics of Delta. We're going to talk about kids because with Pfizer's now push and FDA is probably going to approve this thing. By the way, I have Dr. Paul Offit coming on Monday to ask him all the vaccine questions. So throw in your vaccine questions in the comments. I'll get to them towards the uh, last half of the show, but I'll get all this ranty stuff out first. So we're gonna ask Paul about kids and myocarditis and all the other stuff. But today I wanna talk about kids and why they're innately resistant to COVID. What's going on with Delta and kids, MISC, all this other stuff. Because I think it becomes important as part of this Delta story. Like what's going on? School started, Uh, let's talk about it. I wanna talk about this natural immunity thing because it appears people still deny that this is a real thing. That does not engender trust. Let's talk about natural vaccine immunity and the combination of the two, which I'm a fan of. I don't want you to go out and get COVID, but if you have it and you get a single dose, let's talk about that. And then we'll touch on Moderna uh, and what's going on in Sweden and in parts of Europe because people are freaking out like, what? They put a pause on Moderna? What's going on? Myocarditis, let's talk about it, all right? All right, let's do this. Everybody's here, Joanne Costanza, Sarah Chalk, my supporters are in the house. This is great, this is great. Let's do this. Here's what's going on with Delta. So back in August, we did a show based on David Wallace Wells' work uh, and the work of many others that he was reporting on, saying, hey, you know what? It's probable that Delta has certain dynamics that are common to the other surges that have been happening with COVID. And it they're multifactorial. So this idea that we somehow control a pandemic, that we somehow have the hubris to believe that we're really in charge of this thing is probably not true. And these things obey certain dynamics that are very complex, that are difficult to entirely wrap around. But the idea with Delta was, well, okay, you have a very transmissible virus that's gonna burn through a lot of population quickly because people are vulnerable who haven't been vaccinated, right? And so it's gonna get all this sort of dry brush, like a like a wildfire that, you know, where the forest has been building up over time. It's gonna hit the low hanging brush first, and burn through it very rapidly. Then what's gonna happen is the other trees in the forest are gonna be like, what? And they're gonna try to, uh, they're gonna bend away from each other a little, little natural social distancing, masking, these kind of things that people will kind of even naturally do. And the organism that is our political body will respond and put in crazy mandates and all kinds of stuff. So you get this dynamic where the surge starts, people see friends, family, neighbors, et cetera, getting sick, their local hospital full, they can't do elective procedures. So they auto-regulate a little bit of behavior. So that's a piece of it, but then just a ton of people get infected. And those infected people, guess what? They have immunity to coronavirus, which we're gonna talk about. So they're then no longer low-hanging fruit. You're starting to generate a bit of community immunity. Then you have the vaccinated people, which they took, they they got a cheat card. They're like, I don't want to get this thing. I'm just going to get vaccinated. It turns out the vaccines are effective against Delta. So that was a great idea. So now you have a combination of vaccinated immunity, natural immunity, natural human behavior modulation, and the general dynamics of the virus that we don't fully understand. It just does this. It seems like the other surges were about two months. Now, America, things smear out a little bit because it's not one country. It's a bunch of little countries all doing their own crazy stuff. And um, 
Whereas like, you know, what happened in Britain is it was like a quick on, quick off, the Delta crash. Here it's more like, oh, so what ended up happening, we were saying something like, well, if it falls Great Britain, we'll start to see things uh, come down in you know, beginning of September. Well, September 1st was the inflection point actually in reality. And it's been declining ever since with some statistical blips here and there. And now remember deaths tend to lag cases. So the cases decline and the deaths will, you know, are starting to decline as well, but there's a shift in time with deaths because it takes some time for those to be reported and to come to, to, to actually happen. So what we're seeing now is cases declining. Now, this con contravenes, it goes against the most aggressive doom prophets, right? Oh my God, Delta's gonna kill us this winter, especially when schools open. Schools are gonna just be the final nail in the coffin. The thing's gonna spread like wildfire because these kids are filthy fomites that just spread disease. Well, so how's that actually going? Schools have been open now. My kids are in school, finally. By the way, my 13-year-old like is like, Daddy, why am I so skinny? I'm like, because you're not sitting in front of a screen all day. Like just active with kids, socializing, happy. They told me they don't look forward to the weekends because they really like being with other human beings that aren't us all day. It's great. The fact that we close schools is gonna be looked back upon as one of the great mistakes of all time in, of public health. Just really, really bad. We're done with good intent, but really, really bad. So schools are opening. What's happening? Delta's coming down. Now, these are famous last words. Z-Dog, you'll probably be proven wrong with a third surge in the winter and all that. I don't know. There aren't a lot of variants out there so far, knock on wood, that are more aggressively spreadable than Delta. And that's a good thing. Delta is like the reigning champ of contagiousness, of r naught, right? It's the r naught queen. I made it female because, you know, boats are female. The SS COVID is a chick, all right? So this idea then that there's gonna be yet another surge and yet another surge and yet another surge, we'll see. But I am actually cautiously optimistic and the fact that kids, all right, that schools did not trigger a worsening of the coronavirus surge. Now, remember, this isn't homogenous around the United States. Now, I'm in the most vaccinated, least COVIDed place in the country right now, the San Francisco Bay Area, because they're insane. So, but again, some of it is just natural behavior. So like the crazy liberals in the Bay Area are like, oh, mask or or, or, or you're killing grandma and they just kind of naturally modulate. Everybody got vaccinated and there's a general culture. Even when masks weren't mandated, everybody was wearing masks. I was the only guy not wearing a mask. You know, as I was rolling through Whole Foods with that little cart, that little cart with my five items for 80 bucks. Rich people suck. I'm one of them. Um, all right. The country's not homogenous. It's like all over the place in terms of how behavior is and so on. So you're gonna see different things happen in different patches, but overall we're seeing this. Now, why didn't kids make it worse? This is what I wanna talk about a little bit because it gets into also this idea of, well, we're coming up on five to 11 year olds, potentially not only being able to get vaccinated, but being mandated, Newsom, California, to be vaccinated. So let's think about kids. Now, I wanna preface this by saying, my I've talked to a lot of pediatricians, and so I'm not just blowing crap out of my butt here, but I will also say this. If you're making a decision for your own child, vaccinate, don't vaccinate, COVID-related risk determinations, don't email me, talk to your pediatrician because apparently pediatrics is not just dealing with little adults. They are their own special entity that your pediatrician knows your child. I have no business weighing in on your child's risk, specifically your child, specifically. I can talk about things broadly, but I'm not gonna give you medical advice for your kids. So don't email me about that. All right. Um, why is it, what's, the, what's going on with kids? And in the, in the web post on my website for this video, I put links to different articles you guys can read that kind of go into more detail about all this stuff. So it turns out about 470 odd kids or so 
uh, have died in the United States during the COVID pandemic. Millions have been infected and probably millions more that we've never tested, right? It turns out the case fatality rate, and we're gonna talk about what that means, the case fatality rate in children during COVID in America is something like, what is it, 0.01%. So 0.01% of all children who actually are tested for coronavirus positive will die. And that's a lot higher than the actual infection fatality rate. In other words, of all the kids who are infected and we don't even know it, which by the way are the majority by probably tenfold, their infection fatality rate is vanishingly small. And to put this into perspective, let's think about other risks. And I put a great link to a, um, it was actually a Vox piece. And normally Vox can be, it can occasionally be good, but it's often it's garbage. This was actually not bad, although they never specified infection fatality versus case fatality. So it was garbage in some ways, but actually pretty interesting in others. And I kind of cherry picked the parts that were interesting to fit my own confirmation bias. I just realized I probably did do a little bit of that. Hmm. All right, an alt middle perspective puts their bias out there. So I've always had a bias that school should be open and that kids are relatively low risk for this. And I actually walk that walk. My children have been in camp in situations where other parents might've said, you know, that's too high risk for my kids. And I felt my risk calculation was good for my kids. My 13 year old is vaccinated. My 10 year old cannot be vaccinated. And I'm still deciding what to do with the 10 year old. That's why I wanna to talk to Paul Offit on Monday on the show to ask him questions that will help me decide. So this being said, these children um, by contrast, okay, a normal influenza season plus pneumonia kills more kids than coronavirus did, according to CDC data that's cited in this article. Now, the pneumonia thing is a little tricky because it's like, what kind of pneumonia are we talking about, right? Heart disease in kids, often congenital, kills more kids than, like double, <laughs> than COVID. Listen to this though, firearms is something like, what did I, I actually wrote it down because I was like, what? Firearms is three to four times more children die in a year than COVID. Um, but here's the, here's the craziest one. A car crash kills six times more kids per period time than COVID. And yet we don't not put our children in cars. You, you know what I mean? So this is a risk spectrum for children that, and oh, sorry, thank you, no more, left a comment and sent me $1.99 by Super Chat. Pools. Kid kill more kids by COVID by an order of double, over double. Drowning is doubly fatal. So let all that stuff sink in. Our understanding of risk, and here's, here's the final piece for this. Because, okay, this is what just, it gets me so upset that we don't really understand or talk about risk. And I've been saying this since day one of the pandemic. There's 700,000 dead from COVID, all right? 94% of them are over the age of 50. And a good percent of those have other underlying conditions. We don't talk about metabolic syndrome. We don't talk about diet. We don't talk about obesity. We don't talk about diabetes. We don't talk about chronic heart disease. That's often a lifestyle failure, meaning We've fed ourselves garbage as a society. We've made crappy food cheap. We've stopped exercise outside of like these gyms where you go for like a month and then bail. We've, we've changed the dynamic of society to increase more loneliness, more screen time. So our mental health sucks, which increases our chronic disease, our sedentary status and our obesity. And we still have adverse childhood experiences that traumatize children and lead to adult chronic disease and obesity. And then, a wild fire like Delta comes ripping through and selectively kills people at risk like that, that, that we've set it up. And nobody wants to talk about it because either you're fat shaming, which you're not, or you know, you're, you're just not being, um, you're not being inclusive enough for who could die. So kids are a tiny piece of this, right? Now, the, the, it's interesting. The, the question of why kids are so resistant to 
the effects of coronavirus has kind of come up and up and up and up and up. And the early theories of like, maybe there's less ACE2 receptors that the virus binds to in kids hasn't really panned out. Maybe there's, um, you know, some other, like they're exposed to so many natural coronaviruses because they're so filthy that they have some immunity that adults don't have, but it turns out adults have antibodies to all those same coronaviruses. And in fact, there's one theory called original antigenic sin, which says that when you're exposed, when you've had enough exposure to other coronaviruses first, like many adults have, because there's like, you know, three or four or more circulating coronaviruses that cause common cold. Um, really, I think there's four. Uh, that's what I recall. Don't quote me on that. And this is live and I screw, I screw stuff up and you guys call me out on it, which you should in the comments. Um, and original antigenic sin is when you sort of imprint on a coronavirus, right? Say, and your immune system has this particular response. But when you see a new one, your response is a little bit biased by the original coronavirus exposure. And so the new response is maybe not as aggressive. And again, there's a lot of detail there. And some anti-vaxxers have said, well, isn't that what you're doing with the vaccine? And the answer is no, because you're actually making antibodies against novel coronavirus, which you're gonna make when you're exposed to it anyways. So let's really be honest here, because you have it, and I've said this before, you have a date with Delta or any uh, SARS-CoV-2, you have a date with it. If you haven't been infected before, and if you haven't been vaccinated, and even if you have, you're gonna see this virus in your lifetime easily. Like 100%, you're going to, unless you live in a cave in Antarctica. And even then, you wonder, right? So you're gonna be exposed to it. So either you are exposed with a condom on, that's called a vaccine, or your previous immunity from natural immunity, or you go in commando and roll the dice. So this idea of original antigenic sin in kids says, oh, well, they haven't been exposed maybe to all the coronaviruses, so they are much better at dealing with novel viruses in this way because they don't have any you know, kind of antibody bias. Their adaptive immune system, the part of the immune system that recognizes old viruses and bacteria and so on and makes antibodies rapidly, is not as developed in kids because they haven't had the time, they haven't had the experience to be exposed to all this stuff adults have. So it turns out you can actually measure this stuff. Adults have better adaptive immunity in that way. They have all these memory B cells and T cells that they can quickly spin up responses. Vaccines are partially responsible, but natural exposure is the main thing, right? And so over time, then the kids are now maybe better at, at dealing with brand new threats because they go, oh, this is new. This is the first time we're seeing it. We mount this adaptive response. But before the adaptive response, kids appear to be better at something called the innate immune response. So what's what's the, what's the difference here? The innate immune response um, is, and by the way, Rick Taylor, who super chatted me says, hey, what about the fact that kids are getting sick from being forced to wear masks eight hours a day? I don't know that they're getting sick from that, Rick. I think that's a little bit of misinformation, but I don't think it's helpful to wear a mask so many hours a day because we don't have data saying it is for little kids, but that's another conversation. So you're bringing up good questions, but the other thing is they're not getting exposed to your standard viruses, right? If the masks actually work. So what's that doing? Now RSV comes back with a vengeance. Kids have not been exposed for a year and something, right? Flu's gonna come back, right? Okay, so back to this idea of innate versus adaptive immunity. Innate immunity is a nonspecific immune response to, to a, a viral threat, say. And that involves cytokines like interleukin, like interferon. And there's this very nonspecific kind of broad response to viral and bacterial threats. And it turns out kids may have a more robust innate immune response and a less robust adaptive one for COVID. And they've measured interleukins and interference and they're hiring kids. Turns out kids have the same viral load in the nose. So it's not like they have less viral replication and stuff when they are infected, but it's there's something going on with the innate immune system maybe that gives them the advantage on grownups. And it turns out 
There are, there are these scenarios where as people get older, they actually can develop antibodies to their own interferon and have less of an innate immune response as you get older. And it may be, and this is speculation, it may be that coronavirus is actually a disease that's made worse to some degree by adaptive immunity over response with the cytokine storm later in the disease and is really prevented by the innate immunity. And that's maybe why another reason why older people with less innate immunity do worse with coronavirus. But again, we don't know. Now kids have seem also have less inflammation and that inflammatory response is a, is a big part of COVID's downside. The other thing kids don't have is a butt ton of diabetes, heart, you know, chronic heart disease. They do have obesity, but it's not as bad as adults. So they have less of this stuff that puts them at risk. So the, for all those reasons, innate immunity, the kids seem to do better, which is great on, on many, many levels because now, because you can look and go, well, okay, what? It's not just death, Z dog. What about long term COVID in kids? I don't know. This is this data is so poor. Like some studies, yeah, there's a little long COVID, like twelve percent or so. If like kids will have symptoms like six weeks, eight weeks out. Well, kids don't have crazy symptoms, right? But you never know. It's hard to study. But then there's UK data that says no. It's actually a very small percentage of kids have longer term symptoms. And partially it may be that they don't get this because they just don't get severe disease. And it seems severe disease is correlated with worsening long COVID symptoms. Whatever that is, we still don't even know what it is. So that's still under research. So I don't know that long COVID is something that you have to stress out and pull your hair out with, with little kids. Obviously it's ideal if you can avoid infection, but everybody has a date with COVID. They really do. The kids are going to get infected. In India, something like two thirds of all kids are antibody positive for current, previous coronavirus exposure. So this idea that you're gonna bubble your kid and like, you know, I think it's dysfunctional. I actually think it's, it's, the, it's a disease of the mind, this fear that we've instilled in people that is actually causing a lot of panic, anxiety, and bad consequences for our children. But again, I'm biased here. So I'm gonna put my bias out there. I just don't think that's a way to go. Um, I, Leah, wants me to have moderators in the chat. Be your own moderator by just not reading garbage comments. That's always a good way to do it. Um, all right, so uh, the kids' immunity is, seems to be better. They're not as affected. So the third thing you wanna talk about when you talk about kids is MISC, this multi-system inflammatory syndrome of children. About 4,700 cases in the US, about 41 deaths associated with that. This is a situation where you're infected, you get better, and then like a month or so later, you develop this multi-system inflammatory thing, it can be cardiac abnormalities. It's not a joke when you get it, it is a big deal. Pediatricians who see a lot of this are among those that are like, we gotta do everything we can to prevent kids from getting sick. But when you look at it as a statistical phenomenon, that's still a very small percentage, and most of them do get better, it's still a very small percentage of kids overall and again, when you look at other risks, right? It's like, mm. so, and the question then is, well, how do you prevent MISC? Will a vaccine in kids prevent MISC? And the truth is, we don't know. Okay, so now we've set a stage of what we know and don't know. We know kids are generally pretty resistant. Um, not perfect, nothing's perfect, but we're talking about risk calculations in general. So now you talk about vaccinating kids, five to 11. I think before we can talk about that reasonably, you have to do a risk benefit analysis. That's what I'm gonna talk to Paul about because I know he's a fan of, um, of vaccinating children. I wanna ask him like, well, okay, so what's the risk of myocarditis? How reversible is the myocarditis in children? So it turns out um, there was recently data out of, it was an, a New England Journal paper using an Israeli data set from a healthcare, uh, like a, um, a big healthcare organization in Israel that kept, keeps really good data. And they vaccinated everyone with Pfizer. So it was a very clean data set. And what they found was they looked at the rates of myocarditis and actually myocarditis rates as a whole in the population were not very high. It was pretty rare. But as you go down into the risk category of young boys, 
the risk went up to about one in 10,000 or so, roughly. And that's a problem because if you have a one in one in 10,000 risk, you better show a benefit that's greater than that risk in that age group. Now, the, some of the Europeans are saying, well then this is all usually with the second dose, just give them one dose. You get enough benefit from the vaccine for their low risk to put them at a ridiculously low risk. And I agree with that. But mandates are not gonna agree with that. And that's why mandates are stupid. <laughs> I'm editorializing. The current way we do mandates, they don't allow for any understanding of people who've been previously infected. And we're gonna talk about that. And when, they, when, they, when they're gonna deal with kids, oh, there's gonna be a lot of anger. And this is gonna set back like kids' vaccines. You're gonna poison a lot of the population that has psychological reactance to first of all, being told what to do by a government. Second of all, something that seems illogical, risk and benefit wise. And third of all, that it ignores the science that natural immunity is a real thing. So let me read a couple super chats here. Brian Clardy says, family doc here, long-term social development of our kids that are masking is my biggest concern. This will have ramifications that last 20 years. So this has come up quite a bit. I know Vinay Prasad's talked about this and others that I respect a lot. My intuition is kids are pretty resilient and I don't know that we're gonna damage them from masks. I also don't think masks, have been shown to do a whole lot for kids. So it's kind of like it makes the parents feel good. Maybe it harms them, maybe it doesn't. We don't know because it's not been studied. Probably some kids are sensitive to that and some kids aren't. So it's again, there's no one size fits all. Um, so it's challenging, Brian. It's challenging to even think about it, to talk about it. Um, no more says, um, hey, I think we have enough evidence showing kids are safe from COVID. Meanwhile, politicians, uh, still wanna implement vaccine mandates. It's peculiar how they're not following the science. Yeah, and that's what I wanna talk about. So, cause this is a problem. Let's look at the science or science. Science is a methodology to find truth in the relative world that we live in. By the way, absolute truth may be a different thing, right? Everything is consciousness. This is all a dream. Okay, I put that out there. Next. Natural immunity, increasingly, and I linked to a Kaiser Health News article, it's, and there's Israeli data, we've talked about this, I've done shows on this, natural immunity is a real thing. What is difficult with natural immunity, and again, even the term natural immunity is just like, just COVID survivors, COVID re recovered COVID patients have immunity. They better, otherwise vaccines wouldn't really work. So, they have immunity, the question is how good's their immunity? Well, the Israeli data set said it was pretty damn good, in fact, better than vaccinated immunity. Other data sets may disagree, it's mixed, so we don't really know. I think the problem is when you're infected naturally, if you have an asymptomatic infection, who knows how robust your immune response is? If you have a serious rip-roaring infection, maybe it's higher. And the other problem then becomes we don't know and this is crazy to me, I'm gonna ask Paul on Monday. We don't know what level of antibody that you can measure actually corresponds to immunity. So we have no idea. And yet a lot of these vaccine trials for boosters were looking at antibody levels instead of actual outcomes like severe disease, infection. So we don't know. So we don't have an easy way to go, oh, we tested you, your antibody level was X, you should be immune. That data, it's being looked at, by the way. They're studying the hell out of it right now. But we don't know that number. And the tests are all different, so we don't know that number. That's a problem. So say someone's naturally infected, how are you gonna prove it? Well, you could show a positive COVID test within some period of time. And again, what period of time? How long does natural immunity last? We're not clear on that yet. It probably lasts quite a few months, at least. Whereas Pfizer's vaccine wanes in antibody level but seems to be still good against severe disease, less good against infection over time, which makes sense. The antibodies probably are pretty good at, the neutralizing antibodies pretty good at preventing like initial infection, but it's the T cell and memory B cell response that's more durable that prevents the severe disease. So you get a little sick, but you don't get a lot sick. So I, I'm suspecting, and the data kind of is bearing, so this is the key piece of Israeli data that I think is so interesting. If you give a single dose of the mRNA vaccine to people who've previously been naturally infected, they are more immune by an order of two. Um, 
than people who are either you know naturally infected or have just gotten vaccine. They're like super immune. So imagine what two doses of the mRNA probably does on top of natural immunity. You're a superstar. But again, let me say something. 94% of the fatalities in COVID have been over the age of 50. So if you're 20 and you're stressing about a booster and you don't have underlying conditions or immunocompromise, you're not understanding risk and neither is anyone who mandates a booster for you. You know? Thanks, Caitlin, for the support. Um, so this, this, the natural immunity thing is absolutely a real thing. It's just complicated. But the idea that we're, we do these mandates in a blind way without acknowledging this science has poisoned a lot of people's minds. And I hear from them and they say, man, how could they, I, how do I trust people who don't even read the literature? Right. The thing is, and here's the thing, dude. Look, I talk to these people. All right. They do read the literature. They know exactly what the science is. They just have decided to message a certain way because it's, in their estimation, that's the best public health message that'll save the most lives and be the cleanest. Now, I get that, but I also don't absolutely get it at all. And if I'm looking at it from this alt middle perspective, I would trust Americans if you give them information and are transparent and honest from the beginning with them, which no CDC has not been. Um, Americans will generally do the right thing. Not always. Some of them are total dumbasses. But generally, they'll do the right thing for themselves, their community, and their families if given the right data, if we were able to spend some time really transparently and in a trustworthy way messaging. But no, that's not what we've done. It's not what we've communicated, right? I think there's good intent. We haven't communicated it well. And so, and when I say we, I mean everybody, right? I don't lump myself in with CDC and public health and all that because I'm just a clown on the internet. Um, Mama Otter, I've been vaccinated since December 2020 as a nurse on a COVID unit and have been exposed to COVID-19 over and over and have no symptoms, right? Look, and again, that's an anecdote. Like you're probably one of those people who responded to vaccine or maybe you're like one of these people who's innately resistant to COVID. Now let's talk that as a good segue, um, you know, into what's going on with Moderna in Europe, right? So Sweden has said, um, and by the way, I spoke to a couple of Swedes recently by email and I was like, well, so what's going on with y'all? We haven't heard much from you. And they're like, life, life has just been going on. Like we really haven't had a lot of disruption. And the problem is our healthcare system's garbage because we have a, like a six month waiting list for surgeries and they're never gonna work through it because a lot of stuff closed down during COVID when it got busy. So we need to deal with our, you know, soon to be insolvent healthcare system. But other than that, you know, just we're doing our thing. So it's kind of like, we have to have some humility here. The Swedes have kind of did their thing. America did its thing. Australia did its thing. In the end, what are the outcomes really? I bet they're not gonna be all that different. Maybe a little bit here and there. Not different enough to go, hmm, we've torn ourselves apart politically. We've divided ourselves. We still haven't talked about the things that matter, which is understanding risk, protecting people at the highest risk, and stopping the epidemic, the pandemic of cardiometabolic disease. You know? It's, it's, that, that's the thing, man. Okay, so Moderna in Sweden. The Swedes are like, we're pausing, we're not giving Moderna to, to anybody you know, 12 to, I forget exactly what the upper end of, whether, whether it was 30 or 25 or something, young people, we're not giving it Moderna to. Why? Well, because Moderna may have a higher rate of myocarditis. Why? Well, we've talked about this before. Moderna's like 3X the dose. It's got more mRNA in it, more immune response, higher antibodies at longer, more durable response. It's just a better vaccine than Pfizer. And it could be also because it's spaced out four weeks, but because it's so immunogenic, whatever the etiology is, whatever the causes of myocarditis, it seems to be about, according to some Israeli data, actually double the myocarditis risk with Moderna in young people that are at risk. Older people, they don't have the problem. You really don't even have to really worry about it that much. So I got Moderna, by the way, and I can avouch that second dose, man, knock me, down. It was brutal. 
And you got to think about this. You're mandating these things. So you're telling people you'll lose your job if you don't spend 30 hours with rigors, chills, fevers, muscle aches, splitting headache. These are things that can happen. They're all good things. They're all immune response. But you're basically telling someone you're going to get, you're going to suffer here. Someone who's already had COVID. That's what you're telling them. And then you wonder why people are resistant to mandates. Like pull your head out of your ass. You don't understand people at all if that's how you're talking to them and you're not understanding. That's what they're afraid of. A lot of them are afraid of needles. I already did a video on this. A lot of them are afraid of needles, deathly afraid, and they won't admit it because it's like an embarrassing thing to admit for some people. I'm like, dude, fly your flag high. This is an unconscious fear. You know, you've it's somehow conditioned in your childhood or it's genetic, it doesn't matter. It's not your fault that you're afraid of needles, but it's terrifying for some people, terrifying. I get these emails. Like you feel for them through the email. They're really scared. And look, it seems irrational to people who don't have the fear, but to people who do, it's a crippling fear. And now they're gonna lose their job because even though they already got COVID, it's tough guys. Um, all right, I forget what we were talking about, Moderna. So Moderna, um, I get it. Like maybe Moderna in kids is not a good idea because if you have double the myocarditis risk, roughly, I mean, we don't, we don't fully know, right? That data set needs to be borne out. Um, it makes sense, but does that make Moderna a bad vaccine? Oh, hell no. In fact, I prefer Moderna for most adults, right? I think it's a really great vaccine. Um, and the fact that it's spaced out a little, I think they should space the Pfizer vaccine out more too. Again, what's the ideal time? I don't know. Marty McCary thinks it's 12 weeks, like the Brits spaced out. Um, I don't know, my instinct is something like somewhere between four and eight weeks. Because remember, you're a little less protected in the interim period of time when you when you don't have that second dose. So, but it's, it's probably all fine, guys. We overthink a lot of this stuff. I almost said the S word. Um, and I don't think we should. You know, we should study it, let the thinkers overthink it. But what we should do is just like kind of do the right thing and stop overthinking stuff. And I'll tell you what I think the right thing is. So Moderna, I'm not worried about it. I don't think kids should get Moderna. Um, they're doing the Pfizer thing. Um, We'll get to the wrap up here. Let me look at some comments. Kring86, hey, do you think delaying the second dose could improve someone's chances of developing myocarditis? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know the answer to that. I know Monica had mentioned on the show, Monica Gandhi, that she'd spaced her vaccine out for her kid because she was concerned about that. But I actually don't know whether doing that reduces the risk of myocarditis because I have not seen data to show me that. Now, that makes me think, what is, what's causing myocarditis? now? Dr. John Campbell on YouTube and others have been floating a paper in mice where, and I, and I haven't read the full paper yet. I've sent it to Paul Offit to review. And remember the immediate response when you look at mice papers, and this is what they did in the, with the mice. If they injected the mRNA vaccine directly into the bloodstream through a vein in mice, a lot of them got myocarditis. If they injected it into the muscle, like it's supposed to be injected, uh, they didn't, the rate of myocarditis was, very, very low. So the question is, what's going on there? Well, there's a saying in science, right? Mice lie and chimps exaggerate, meaning mice and humans, they share some homology, but you can't usually extrapolate what happens in mice. In fact, most of the times it doesn't pan out. And then you gotta look at the methodology of the paper. A lot of times they're poorly done. John Campbell thought it was actually a well-done paper. I haven't read it directly, so I need to. Um, but then the idea is, do you have to withdraw on a syringe before you inject? I'm gonna to talk to Paul on Monday about this. I don't know, my instinct is I don't think that's it. I think it's an idiosyncratic immune reaction. Um, it's not caused by injecting it into a vein. <clears throat> I think it's just some people are innately sensitive to an immune response that comes with this because other vaccines have done this. Smallpox vaccine has done this. And smallpox vaccine does, you know, these, these vaccines do not, have spike protein because the argument is, oh, they looked at these mice when you inject it in the vein, they were they were expressing spike protein in their heart. And it's like, well, yeah, you put mRNA into a blood vessel at a high concentration, it's going to be expressed in different cells of the body, including maybe the heart, if it's taken up there. Because last time I checked, the heart is exposed to your blood. <laughs> so then they're saying, well, that's what's causing the inflammation. But then how would that explain, like say how smallpox uh, vaccine would do that, you know? Um, I think it's a more nonspecific immune response, but again, I'm speculating. 
And so I'm gonna tell you, I'm speculating. Thanks TH for the support, the super chat. You guys are great on YouTube um, supporting our show. Um, let me see where our comments are. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a wrap up here and then we'll take comments, okay? So if you wanna stop watching after the wrap up and you don't like comments, you can do that. Delta is gonna be over soon. And this is why I say that, I'm predicting. And you know how my predictions are. 95% of them are wrong. 5% are insanely right. So between natural infection immunity, vaccine immunity, we're only 56% vaccinated in the US. That's abysmal, by the way, fully vaccinated. More have had the single dose. Um, between those two, we're gonna have reasonable resistance to another wave of whatever. You now have molnupiravir, which I did a show on, Merck's drug, which apparently was a little less effective in India. I need to look at that data, but seems to be pretty good at preventing hospitalizations. So if you do get infected and you're in some risk category, um, it might prevent you getting admitted to the hospital, which is good. Turn it more into a common cold. You have monoclonal antibodies, which are good as well. And then inpatient, you have remdesivir, which is garbage, and dexamethasone, which is awesome. And new ways that we look at trying to avoid intubating people, putting them on ventilators, using non-intubated prone positioning, different things like that. So I think we're getting there. I think this, if I'm a betting man, I would say that this big Delta surge is the last surge we're gonna see in the US, big surge we're gonna see in the US. We're gonna get back to a new normal. Um, hopefully the masks are coming off in the Bay Area soon, oh, these idiots. And um, people will get vaccinated and the few people that don't get vaccinated, whatever, really whatever, right? We don't need to destroy the fabric of our society to vaccinate every last, last person, we really don't. It's not that type of disease, right? And um, just get those high-risk people I had a really heartbreaking story about a cardiologist just emailed me and was like, man, I just took care of this like 90 plus year old guy who needed a pacer and I put the pacer in, saved his life, told him he needs to get vaccinated. They were like, sure. Um, and he didn't get vaccinated and ended up admitted back with COVID. And it's like, man, these are not, that's the age group where you vaccinate. You don't overthink it. You don't worry about nonsense misinformation. You just vaccinate, all right? There's a lot of overthinking that's going on. And I think the overthinking is triggered by the emotional reactance to the garbage way our public health officials have communicated vaccine safety and efficacy. <laughs> and I've done plenty of rants on that. All right, let's take some comments. So good news. I'm optimistic. This is great news. All right, the end of Delta, the end of COVID as a pandemic. It'll be an endemic thing. All right, get through all the anger, bargaining, denial, grief about that. It's here forever. I'm down with that. Kids are innately resistant to it, which means every child who's born will get the infection and do pretty damn good. You don't even have to vaccinate toddlers and all this crap. They'll just get immune by the time they're adults. They've seen the virus already. We have collective immunity. It's a cold, right? Some people will still die because that's just the nature of these viruses. You can die from a common cold, all right? TH says, I can't get an answer to this question. It said people can still transfer the virus after vaccine. Can you transfer the virus with natural immunity? Yes, same thing really probably. This is a mucosal virus. You can get infected, you can replicate Delta because Delta replicates like hell in the upper airways and you can spread the disease, but usually you're gonna have some symptoms. Um, not always, but usually you're gonna have symptoms and or be, you know, the problem with this is you can be pre-symptomatic. That's the problem with COVID. But in vaccinated people, you know, your, your highest transmission is usually when you're symptomatic. So all that being said, yes, you can still transmit, but both naturally infected and vaccine, vaccine transmission uh, is gonna be less for a couple of reasons. One is five to 10 fold risk reduction in being infected in the first place. So if you're not infected, you can't transmit. So vaccines reduce transmission by reducing infection. Second, the duration of illness is likely shorter in vaccinated people which means less time to transmit because you're less infectious for less long. If you're fully symptomatic and all that, you're just as infectious as a unvaccinated person. That's where the miscommunication happened. CDC was like, these vaccinated people can spread it and you need to take a mask and put it on. It's idiots, man. I don't. We pay them to do this. 
We pay them to do this, to screw this up. I know morale is low at CDC. I know it's been hard. I know good people at CDC, very smart people. But man, this has been a cluster F. Um, Trisha Tree, I was one of those vaccine hesitant nurses because of your channel. I got vaccinated last spring. Oh, I just wanted to say thank you. I wanna say thank you for being inspiring me. Look, look, you guys know I wanna see all y'all vaccinated, right? Even the people with natural immunity because even just a single dose, man, you're gonna be a superstar. We'll just push this thing to endemicity that much faster. Kids, I'm ambivalent, honestly. I wanna talk to Paul about it again on Monday. Because again, risk-benefit, 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 right? No more. If 56% are vaccinated, will uh, will the other's natural immunity still be helpful? Yes. The problem is there's a lot of overlap. So we, don't re we can't really calculate what the ultimate herd immunity threshold is. And with this one, it isn't a classic herd immunity in the sense that you prevent you know, infection entirely. It's just you prevent severe disease. It's like herd immunity against severe disease. Um, yeah, really good questions, you guys. Um, let's see, let's see. Yeah, you know, Renee Eckhart, who's a supporter on YouTube, cringe every time I find one of my 80-year-old patients isn't vaccinated. Yeah, because you look at the case fatality rate in that population, 25%. That's crazy high. A fourth of you will die if you're infected with COVID, case fatality rate, that's high. So we know, you know, you know, my friend Jay Bhattacharya talks about this. He's like, we know who's at risk, right? So you don't, you don't, you don't destroy the fabric of society, the economy, our kids' education, their future, their economic futures, when you know what to do, which is vaccinate old people. That's what Britain did. They vaccinated all the old people first. Their death rate went bloop. Still get infections, but who cares? That's the thing. Who cares? You know? Oh, but long COVID. Man, I don't know. I just don't know. We got. We need more data on the long COVID thing. Mama Otter says, in healthcare, we can't cure stupid. That's a common, you know, and that's a, it's a, I used to say that a lot. It's a very shamey phrase, but sometimes it does apply. Like there's some people that you're just like, listen, you just don't have the toolkit, emotionally, mentally, physically, whatever it is to cope with this. You just don't. So we try to help, but we can't, we can't cure that component of it, the lack of a toolkit to do this. That's why some people argue for mandates because you can't cure stupid. But see, <laughs> the problem with that thinking is these aren't stupid people on the whole making these decisions not to vaccinate. They're very smart people um, who are operating as humans will operate emotionally and intellectually. And you can find information online to back up anything you want to believe, you want to believe. You can find that information and it can sound extremely compelling. When Dr. Ryan Cole, Mayo Fellowship trained dermatopathologist, what the fuck? Sorry, I shouldn't have said the F word. Um, you know, says, this is what I'm seeing in my patients. And it's like, yeah, well, here's what the other 99.9999999999999999% of us doctors are seeing. Uh, but it doesn't matter because you'll pull that out. Here's a credible guy, Peter McCullough, another guy, Baylor guy. It's like, could you imagine how much damage I could do if I decided to turn to the dark side and start saying things like, I'm not even gonna say it because anti-vaxxers will pull it out as a clip and put it up. See what Z-Dog said, he agrees with us. If I said some crazy anti-vax stuff, like I could cause unlimited harm, you know, because weirdly enough, people actually kind of trust me because I don't know what it is, but I'm actually telling you the best truth that I have. And I think you can feel it through the lens, right? And Merck ain't giving me any money. Pfizer ain't giving me any money. I talk smack about them all the time. So, you know, think of the damage I could do. Well, that's what these doctors are doing, right? That's kind of what they're doing. Um, all right, I think it's time to wrap up, guys. We did a thing here. Um, this was a lot of fun. One thing I'd ask of you is just share these videos because if you know if you have somebody who's like say on the fence about a vaccine and they want to hear just the honest truth about it, this is the honest truth. Clip this piece out. I think most people should get vaccinated. I think a lot of people feel they're special in some way, like they they have a, a medical condition that precludes vaccination or something else. And I think that 
in a way, I would want them to look inside and go, what is it about this vaccine that really has you frightened and feel into that? Is it a needle fear? Is it a psychological reactance to the political nature of this thing? Like maybe you're on team X and team Y is telling you you have to do this. That's normal. Forgive yourself for that. We all do it. I do it. Is it that you're a very cerebral person and you're just overthinking this thing? Where if you just went and got the vaccine, statistically you're gonna do better than fine? And then, are, or are you just one of the people that's like, I don't need it because I was naturally infected or I'm low risk young person. Now low risk young person who has not been infected, I would argue, go get the vaccine because you're. it's not just about you, although it can be. Just even getting sick with COVID sucks. It's about your bigger community. So at that point, I'd say, hey, take a hit for the team. I'm asking you. I'm not demanding it of you. I'm asking you to take a hit for the team, meaning a day of fever or something, if you even get that, to help generate more broad immunity, less transmission. And it does do that. So, and, and, and you know, stop, I would just say then, stop overthinking it. Feel into what's bothering you. Talk to your doctor. Hopefully they'll listen. And if you were my loved one, 99 out of 100 times, I would tell you, I would love to see you get vaccinated, you know? Yeah, and we can talk about kids another time. We'll talk about that's, you know, that's more, a little more nuanced. And again, talk to your pediatrician, all right? I love you guys. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.